0: Hello and welcome everyone. I am Jake Wurzak and this is Masters of Moments. This podcast features conversations with the top entrepreneurs and business leaders around hospitality, real estate, investing, and company building. Thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the show. You've heard it on the podcast so many times and I'm going to say it again. Relationships are everything in real estate. At Dovehill Capital Management, one of the most interesting things about our track record is that the majority of the deals have come to us off market or lightly marketed. So we had this innovative idea a few years ago and that was to launch the Deal Rewards Program at Dove Hill Capital Management. If you want to learn more, you can go to www.dovehillcos.com. Again, that's www.dovehillcos.com. You click on the little Deal Rewards icon and you can sign up. And if you have a deal that's off market that somehow came to you, maybe you're working on a deal, you're trying to put it together, bring it to us because we can help you get that deal done through our Deal Rewards Program. We offer industry-leading incentives. We'll allow you to co-invest in the deal. We could come up with another interesting structure to allow you to do the deal with us. The Deal Rewards Program is incredibly unique and will give you an opportunity to do a deal with Dove Hill, either in a completely passive position, or maybe you're taking a more active role. Either way, please check out the Deal Rewards Program at www.dovehillcos.com. Appreciate it. And this is how we've been getting our flow. The team at Wurzak Hotel Group is just firing on all cylinders right now. So I'm very, very excited and proud to announce that we now have a third-party management program where we are managing hotels for other owners. We used to just manage hotels for ourselves, and now we've made some tremendous forward investments in people, our team, technology, accounting, finance, and most importantly, culture, and we are prepared to bring that out to everyone. Our team is experienced in managing independent hotels, branded hotels. We have focused heavily on boutique, lifestyle, and experiential hotels, and we're ready to manage a hotel for you. So if you are interested, if you want to learn more about what we do and how we can help your hotel, please visit Mm -hmm. WurzakHotels.com. I wanted to start with something that you and I were, were talking about, and it was kind of an observation I had. I recently heard Ian Traeger talk, and I've been thinking a lot about the innovators in the hospitality industry, and you certainly come to mind. But a lot of these people didn't come from the hotel world. So maybe we could start there about where you came from and also why you think that is. First of all,
1: Jake, Happy to be here and happy to talk shop with you today. yeah, my journey to, to hospitality came through my experience as a real estate developer, and so when I got into it, I had the luxury of having had my own business for a while, so it gave me some conviction that I could accomplish things with with related to the bricks and mortar part of the hotel business, and I also had a developer's mentality where I felt like I could figure it out as I went. So uh, I came to lodging with just somebody who had, you know, the business acumen to, to build a hotel. And the short story is that I got presented with a project, to piece of property that I would be typically in our wheelhouse to develop, as as our traditional projects that we did, which were residential mixed use and. For a variety of different reasons, the project, the site didn't make sense for our typical work, and that was really a zoning thing. And so I passed on the property. But you know, when you're a real estate guy, you get the you know that you have the you have your, if you're a deal junkie like I was, you try and figure out how it would make sense. And it sort of dawned on me over the weekend that it probably didn't make sense for a residential project, but it probably made sense for a hotel project. But because I did not have all of the traditional trappings of what kind of a hotel makes sense and doesn't make sense to build, I went into it just thinking to myself, I'm going to do a hotel that I think would be fantastic at that place and at that time. And so the the end result was something that was very out of the box. And it was very out of the box because I didn't really put into it any traditional thinking when it when it related to doing a typical hotel. And so I think what you see with people that come from outside of the lodging business, whether, you know, it's Ian Traeger came from Nightlife or some of these other, you know, folks that I think create, inflection points in lodging that we typically don't see is because they bring a sort of a new line of thinking. I think they bring a very consumer-driven approach to the places that they're creating. They're trying to create something that they feel, and in particular, in my instance, I felt like was missing in the landscape. And I wasn't sort of, what's the right word? I wasn't straddled with all of the sort of typical things that you would look at for benchmarks about whether a project makes sense to build or not price per key price per foot ff and e you know looking at the p and l's in a very traditional linear format and you know so sort of looking at things in a completely different format and just leaning on my my experience so
0: far in the real estate business to create that box and i sort of figured it out as i went what were some of the things that you saw in that initial deal that made you even think, having no experience in hospitality, that this would make for a good hotel?
1: I, I start, I, my background in, in, was in residential real estate. And so my point of view really started with this idea that there was probably a space in the market for a residential style hotel, which really didn't exist. And a a residential style hotel that wasn't your traditional, let's just call it extended stay, that's something that was very stylish. It it sort of was something that was very connected to the neighborhood. It was a little bit smaller in scale. It had a sort of an alchemy of chic that other hotels in Los Angeles really didn't have at the time. And it was something that I was a, a sort of a student of. But on the as a consumer, really more than anything. But I felt like my background in creating buildings and creating spaces and capitalizing projects and you know rallying a team and I felt like I could use that and lean on that to create something really special. And so at a high level, it was just sort of a very stylish pied a terre style hotel with a you know with a food and beverage component that you know, in my mind felt kind of more like a New York style F&B type setup as opposed to what was in LA at the time, which was, you know, sort of your more traditional style
0: hotel F&B or traditional style restaurants. What was it on that initial project that made a non-hotelier, someone outside of the industry, think that this could be a great hotel? What, what did you see that made you want to pivot away from residential and do hotel?
1: Well, because my background was in the residential real estate world, I sort of was approaching it in thinking that there was really room in the marketplace for a residential style hotel, or at least I thought there was. And I actually did a little research, and what I was, what I was, sort of came to understand was that there was like corporate housing and there were some extended stay h- hotels and those hotels and those places sort of were at this price point. And then there was traditional hotels that were at this price point. And there was, I can't remember the exact percentage, but there was a really a large number of percentage of people that were staying in traditional hotels because they liked the placemaking component of that, but they were staying for 30 days or longer, but they were staying in very s- small traditional style hotel rooms, and then this big price drop to a more corporate housing type setup. So my premise was: what about if we did a very stylish, you know, created all the style and the placemaking and all of the fun parts of a hotel and combine that with the size of a more of a corporate style suite? and that was my premise and 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 I thought that maybe from a pricing perspective that I would fit inside that pricing stratum where it was above corporate housing and below traditional hotels where you would stay for extended periods and so that was my sort of my math thesis and from a placemaking thesis I really felt like there was a demand in Los Angeles at that time for a more urban bohemian Sort of downtown style hotel with a very New York style F and B setup. You know, commu- you know, great lobby, great bar, fun restaurant, and and did it in a way that seemed a little bit more urbane, more gritty, but still very bespoke and upscale. And so that was kind of my thesis, and that's what I went about making. And so that's what I thought the hole was in the market, and I was, you know very fortunately proven correct. This was Pally House West Hollywood. This was the first hotel that we did and we opened in January of 2008. So that's, that was the entree into the world of lodging.
0: How did you feel about opening at that point in a real estate cycle or a hospitality cycle, which you really had no idea what to expect not coming from hospitality? You know,
1: ignorance is bliss, I suppose. I think that what, what, what happened for me which was very unusual was that even though there was so much disruption going around in in the in the real estate world and in you know the economy and there was you know so much uncertainty because we got it right the hotel was just and you know, much by surprise, the hotel was just very successful right out of the gate. The restaurant was full, the bar was full, the hotel rooms were in demand, and it, it was a small hotel, and so it was very busy. And so I was able to kind of figure it out under the auspices of, you know, having success which carried me, you know, meaning having commercial success. And so I was buoyed by that in terms of being able to you know make the mistakes that you make when you open your first hotel and people were just kept on coming and so i didn't know that it was a bad hotel market i knew it was a bad economy and i knew that you know the real estate world was turned on its head but for me in this little bubble there was enough success to to carry the hotel forward
0: how much of the success was based around Your strategy of kind of bridging the gap between what you call corporate housing or extended stay and more of a boutique hotel versus just what you created, the style, the design, the F&B, the entire package of the placemaking, What, what do you think was the biggest part of the success? I think it was really a combination of all
1: of it. And I think that even though some of it was done on very much on purpose, a lot of it just was serendipitous in terms of, you know, just like anything else when you get, when you're in the right place at the right time, some, you know, some of it is, 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 is a very conscious business plan. And the other part of it is, I think, you know, you just sort of, you know, put pieces together that made sense at that right time. And we just hit the zeitgeist of the lodging market and, and neighborhood hotel and the location and, the branding and the vibe, we just sort of hit it all on all cylinders. It was just really fresh. And, and that's what I think really carried the day. It's like anything else, you know, in business, I think you, you, if you have the right idea and you're able and you're flexible, but a lot of it is just, you know, I think luck
0: to get it, to be at the right place at the right time. Did you find you drew inspiration from other hotels throughout the world or was it more aspects of other real estate whether it was a restaurant or maybe a residential project where did that come from You know it came from really all of that I, I I was you know I've had
1: the good fortune of you know traveling a lot and being in a lot of places I knew what I liked I had a really good sense for what I thought the whole was in the market and so it was just applying little bits and pieces of all different things that I've seen. The other thing that I think was a benefit was I understood my limitations in terms of the box that I was in. You know, we, we developed the building, we built the building. And so I was able to, as I was shaping the project, I was able to, you know, be able to take pieces that I knew would work in the space physically, because you can have, you know, all different kinds of ideas, but, you know, if, if, you know, if you, you could put a bowling, I would love to have a bowling alley, but if you don't have room for a bowling alley, you know, you just don't have a bowling alley. So I was able to kind of take little bits and pieces and keep in mind when we were opening, you know, it was sort of like the Bowery Hotel was just about to open and Balthazar and Pastis was firing in all cylinders and Soho House was just kind of coming of age in the US. And there were all these really interesting things going on Primarily on the East Coast, hotel cost was banging, and you know there were all these really fantastic things that were happening that I was able to kind of see and understand a little bit about how are the how is how do the staff look and what kind of music are they playing and what are the lighting levels and where's the energy coming from and. What are the cuisines that people are attracted to? And what are the aesthetics that really were interesting and felt timeless? So there were there were lots of really cool things to draw on. And I think took little pieces of all of that and put a little bit of a California flair on it, mixed it together in the blender and just did it.
0: You mentioned this neighborhood hotel. And I think one of the like, apex moments for a hotelier is that the locals use the hotel just as much as the guests. They use it as their living room. They use the restaurants and the bars and maybe even the pools if there's a membership program. What were some of the insights that you gained from making sure that you became a hub for the locals as opposed to just a place for out-of-towners to stay? Yeah,
1: that's a really, it's a hard thing to, to get right. And I think that what you have to do is you have to, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix. You have to hold up a mirror to the community so, they, so it reflects back what's valuable about the community, but you have to do it in a way where it's not too on the nose or too gratuitous. You still, you still have to be inspirational. You still have to bring your own unique point of view. You, as a proprietor, you have to let people understand what you're all about. They have to sort of understand what you're bringing to the table from a style and an offering perspective, but at the same time, you want to still be inclusive. I think that the other thing that this hotel and all, all the other hotels that we've been doing ever since then is that through your design and your placemaking, you're sort of curating your customer at the same time. And so if you make a place that's really stylish But at the same time, inclusive. I think just by and and it doesn't feel very transactional, and it's sort of of a scale where uh, the local community can sort of champion it because it feels approachable for them. I think that's the best thing that you can do to put your best foot forward in terms of inviting people in the community to the space, and then these spaces sort of take on a life of their own, despite whatever intentions you have going in. But I think if you give yourself those basic building blocks, you're able to really create an open invitation to the community. And like I said, you can also sort of through your design, curate who that customer ultimately is.
0: I want to go back to your, the kind of career transition that you had, because I'm really curious about that. And I think it's interesting. The hospitality business is so hard because it combines an operating business with a real estate investment typically. And coming from real estate, why did you transition your passion and your life's work to hospitality centric or to focus on hospitality and kind of leave out a lot of the prior real estate work that you've been doing? What is it about hospitality that you thought was so good? I touched
1: on this a little earlier and I started my own business, my own real estate development business, pretty pretty young, and I ha- I was sort of, again, fortunate to hit a period of time where you could be young and entrepreneurial and have success because the capital markets were were there and the consumer was there, and it never dawned on me to get into the hospitality business because it felt like some magical, you know, sort of. Uh, th- thing outside of, you know, what I thought was just sort of the blocking attacking of real estate development. It just seemed like something that would other for other people to do. But what happened for me was that I had built a really big development business and we had developed, you know, gosh, by the time we opened our first hotel, we developed maybe over 2 million square feet of, of, of real estate and had built a big development company, and we were developing in Southern California and Northern California. And what happened, as I mentioned earlier, was that we I opened the hotel almost as like a side project. It was not meant to be our core business. It was meant to be maybe an adjunct to what it is that we're doing, but sort of two... Macro things happened. One was the hotel was very successful, and number two is was the global financial crisis. And the global financial crisis essentially decimated the our my core business, which was the real estate development business. And it it essentially, you know, we had to completely right size that part of our operation because of everything that, that was going on. And when the dust settled which was really late 2009 early 2010 and when i mean the dust settled it meant you know working out deals you know uh, you know selling stuff and trading stuff and working your way out of all kinds of crazy situations which was not necessarily unique to us everybody was doing it when the dust settled i had the hotel um which was doing great and everything else were in various forms of working its way out and i sort of took 2010 and i just sort of took a breath and i stood still and i was like okay i have to you know resurrect the enterprise and i had an opportunity i wouldn't want to go through the global financial crisis again cuz that was you know very punishing but I, it gave me an opportunity to reassess how i wanted to move forward with my skill set that i had and so I sort of thought to myself, well, you know, if I could utilize my real estate development skill set, my business acumen, my relationships, and target it towards what seems to be connecting with a customer base, i.e., the hotel that I had, maybe that was a better path forward for me. And so I just decided that I was going to focus on doing two things. One was, trying to make more hotels. And two was to try and build sort of a, a branded operating part of it, where I thought that I could really bring a lot of value there. And my premise there was really to do something that was very proprietor driven, really, really was not a design by committee or a managed by committee enterprise, but something that I could really be, have a lot of influence on and And create spaces that I thought were valuable, that I thought were fantastic, that I knew I had the skill set to build. And so that was the sort of the, the, that was the pivotal part of changing how I thought about that. And I just frankly didn't want to extend myself the way that I had been extended before. And when you're young, you know, you're invincible and, you know, pre global financial crisis, I really felt very, i had a lot of confidence and because i knew nothing but success up until then and going forward i was a little bit more careful about how it was going to go about you know resurrect and sort of build upon you know everything that i had created
0: let's dig deeper there cuz i think it's really relatable now as we're in some sort of a transitory real estate cycle there's a lot of takeaways what were the non-negotiables as you were starting the business and thinking about the life you wanted to create for yourself, the business you wanted to create for yourself? What were those things that you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. And if we're going to do it this way, it has to be this way. That's a great question. There there, there were a couple of things. One was I decided that if I was going to
1: develop real estate going forward, i.e., you know, sponsor real estate deals to create hotels, that I was going to do that with a partner. And what I mean by with a partner, what I mean that I no longer wanted to take the sole position of dealing with all of the developer functions, general contractors, you know, construction lenders, debt and equity, tax matters, all the things that you do as a real estate development as a real estate developer, I've done for years and years and years because I knew it was an, it was not in line with creating an operating company, and I knew that if you want, you had to pick a lane. And so, everything that I did going forward, at least for the next couple of projects, I did with a partner that was able to come in and handle that development process to carry that torch, so I could focus on running, designing, and making the best properties that I could. Number two was. I would absolutely not work with any third party designers or branding or anything in the hotels. I wanted to have everything to be a really singular voice. I wanted to design my own projects. I wanted to you know, create my own playlist, do my own uniforms, I wanted to do my own procurement of all the FF and I wanted to design and 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 um, create all the os items. I wanted to operate the hotels myself and I wanted to design and operate all the food and beverage. Those were non-negotiable for me because I wanted to be able to create really beautiful, very bespoke spaces. And I felt like that was the only way that I could do them on time and on budget. Because the more you bring outside influences, the more they impact your timeline and your budget. And I knew that I could... Because of my experience, I knew I could make 75 cents look like a dollar, and I knew how to do it quickly, and I knew that I could create, I could really create a lot of ROI on dollar spent going into these projects because of my development experience. And so those were really the non-negotiable items. Outside of that, I was sort of open-minded about, you know, what the process was. And where where I would you know where other opportunities would present themselves.
0: The business has grown as you've designed many hotels, and that's been something that really Pally is known for. How have you figured out not to make it look cookie cutter? Because you're the same guy doing the same designs. You're not bringing in outside people for outside influences. So how do you maintain? the kind of fresh feel, but while still giving it the consistent voice of the brand and remaining timeless. Like I think about W is probably the greatest brand with the greatest explosion where it didn't have anything timeless about it. Maybe at the time it was interesting and well-designed, but it really lost its way. How have you thought about that as you've continued to build Pally from a design standpoint? Well, the way that, The way that I did it, and I I can't speak
1: for everybody else, is as the business grew and as things evolved, and, and I think it's better, I think it's I think it's important to take a step back and answer it this way. The first three hotels that I did, I developed for myself, essentially. I was a sponsor or part of the sponsorship team, and therefore I was I just was doing what I had been doing before, which was finding a site, finding a building you know, capitalizing it, designing it, executing it, financing it, and and getting him open and dealing with all of the machinations that you deal with there. Even though I had partners in the deals that were handling a lot of development expertise, they're still, you know, you're the governor to growth is just how many, how many, you know, you, you, you sort of eat what you can kill in terms of on the real estate side. What happened for us was that I made a conscious decision along the way to main- to sort of try and create a brand that revolved around my own personal sensibilities and the design, the tone of the design and the tone of the operation and just the overall experience. And I didn't want to do something that was so esoteric that it's hard to recreate. I wanted to do something that had a lot of street credibility, but was something that was repeatable because We were creating sort of systems and procedures by which not only could we create these places, but we could maintain them over time and that we can sort of move forward in a way that was continued to be elegant. And what happened for me was without trying, someone approached me and said, Hey, I really love your brand, which I was, you know, that tickled. I was so tickled when someone said that. And we really love what you do. I've got this property that we want to turn into, you know, one of your signature properties. All you have to do is design it and, and, and operate it as the operator. Uh, and I, you know, it just took me a minute to, to realize I didn't have to fund any capital into it and have to go and raise any money. I didn't have to go get construction financing. I didn't have to, you know, do my typical rallying of the troops and the, once we signed on to do that, really, that's when the floodgates opened, where we went from a sort of an asset-heavy company to a very asset medium, and then now to, I'd say, a very asset-light enterprise, which is that because of that, we were able to put, provide, to put even more resources into the placemaking part of it, and as time went on, able to build a bigger and better team. And continue to allow me to allocate my time and my energy into the areas in which I can be very prolific. And so even though there's definitely a right brain, left brain component of h- how I invest my time, a huge part of it still is on the design side. And you're able to build a design team that understands how you put the rubrics, you know, how you put the rubik's cube of the place making together the hardest part of doing hotels is that most of the times most of the most of the properties that we are involved in they're very quirky and i think that you have to have a really good background in building buildings and or developing buildings to understand how to unlock the the most value there so i spent a lot of time on the programming of those quirks and that I spent a lot of time on, you know, creating these jewel boxes. And so I think because I sort of have a really deep understanding and now a really big team to handle not only the, the design side, but also on the operating side, it allows me to continue to invest a lot of energy into the provenance of the product that we're creating. And so again, I think it's like you, Jake, I'm sure you've got things that you're really good at that you would never let anybody touch. I don't care how big you get. And I think it's I, and I think that's just the same with me. I would never allow the integrity of the way the product is created and the way that the product is maintained. That to me comes number 1.
0: And so I hope that answers your question. Since you have a brand and you're coming to it with a certain sensibility, a certain tone and perspective, what is like the initial process look to figure things out on a new project? So let's just say I own a, a cool hotel and maybe you can tell us a story of, of a property in your portfolio that might help narrate this for everyone. I come to you with a warehouse building or an old building and I say, I want to make it a Pally product. And you say, okay, great, let's do it. What does that first meeting with you look like where you're presenting the vision and how do you get to that vision? What are the components that you start with and how does it all come together? The way that it
1: typically happens is usually projects come to us fairly baked, some version of baked, meaning that most of the time people that are coming to us have a piece of real estate that they have and they're they tend to be local in that market they have deep local knowledge and I think they already have an understanding about what the opportunity is one number two is now and 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 really for the last decade people are coming to us with already in mind that like you said that they would want to do one of our brands in that location because they think that that hits the sweet spot so the first conversation really is is usually around what is the what is you know what does the opportunity look like in terms of the structure the location, and you know all what the aspirations are for the project and because we now have a suite of brands, we're able to figure out whether it fits into one of our brand pockets or brand platforms in order for it to make sense so typically people are coming to me knowing that they wanna try and do something. And then I think for us, it really, a lot of times, once we're feel kind of comfortable with the location and the the sponsors that are coming to us, that's really sort of the first vetting is like, you know, is this a particular group that we're gonna have a potentially 15 or 20 year relationship with? You know, that's a really important component of the exercise. And once we get comfortable there, then it really very quickly transitioned into a math exercise because we're really very instrumental on obviously running the cash flows, but we're also really instrumental in helping to shape the development plan because we really have so much experience there. We really do have a seat. We really are. It's the most beneficial when we have a seat at the table early on in terms of that technical service process. And so we're really, we really understand fire life safety issues. We understand glazing issues or, you know, any uh, issues that really most hotel operators don't understand. We really understand the development process. So we we understand this idea where the limitations of a physical structure and we're able to just sort of design around it. So that's typically how it does. We don't do RFPs. We're not really doing a lot of Convincing people to try and do stuff, it's really more about can we put our spin on it and add value and i'll be I would be the first person to go back to people and say, "Listen, I'm happy to help and I'm happy to help answer questions and I'm happy to help you in your process, but we're not really going to be the right operator for you because we're not able to transcend the market like we we do on our typically on all of our projects so that's a little bit of a roundabout way of of answering your question, but Typically, Jake, if you came to me you and with a building that didn't fit your profile as an owner or an operator, but you thought that we would shine, we would be able to very quickly do that. The other thing which I think is a little interesting about us, which I, I don't know how a lot of other people do it, but you get a ton of principal attention, even though we've got 30 properties in our orbit. This. A lot of principal attention because I would never really get involved in anything that I didn't feel we could translate into something really special that could stand on the shoulder of, of of all that we've created so far, and so it's a ton of principal attention. And so I'm really out front, typically in the at the beginning to help figure out how to
0: best skin the cat. There's I think two ways to build a brand. One way in hotel speak is you go out and you tell people that you're building a brand and you're gonna have this hotel in every major gateway city. It's gonna be the greatest thing and you have nothing today. The other way is to start with one hotel and then build another hotel and then slowly figure out that it's working. Can you talk about the moment when you realized, hey, I might actually have a brand here and what it means to have a brand? and now you have a couple different brands under an umbrella or collection of hotels
1: there's been a few watershed moments in terms of that because you know i'm the i i was very red, I, I i was very hesitant up front to say i've got a brand and you know the brand trans you know is going to somehow add value because i just yeah, that's a very dangerous territory. You know, everybody, everybody has a quote unquote brand. And so it's very, and, and I've seen a lot of what you said, people go, they go to Alice and they announce a brand. And then five years later, you're like, what happened to that? You know, nothing ever happens. I think I'm, I'm a huge believer in putting one foot in front of the other. I'm also a huge believer in doing better. Every time you step, you know, you go out there and create something because I really believe you can do better. I don't think that means spending more money. I just think it means doing a better job of creating spaces. So what happened for me was that when when we opened the first property, uh, it was called Pally House. And when I was going to do the second property, my first inclination was to not (laughs) <laughs> call it Pally anything. You know, I thought I was just going to do more of what most people do is, is call it something else. And I even registered a domain name for the location where the hotel was, the street name, you know, whatever.com. And my wife said to me, you're out of your mind. She said, what do you tell you got this burgeoning brand? You need to call it Pally hotel because we were, it was more of a traditional style hotel. And I was like, you know, I just, I, I really credit her for sort of making me see that that was, there was a there, there. And when we opened that property and I thought for sure, you know, who, you know, who knew it was our second property. I didn't know. I was still had PTSD from the, you know, global financial crisis. And we opened the door and we were sold out the first night. And basically the hotel is just, Full every night. Ever since then, that was, you know, 13 years ago or something like that. And so that's when I realized that the name was able to carry over. And then what happened, and this is sort of interesting, the third hotel that we opened, which was our Pally House in West in Santa Monica, when we opened that property. Immediately, and that property got a lot of notoriety for a lot of different reasons, but it was very successful right out of the gate. And what I noticed was that when we opened that property, our West Hollywood, West Tally House got a rate bump, not because we were doing anything different. It was just that the brand was rising all ships. And so those were the two moments where I realized that we were sort of onto something. And then of course, when people started to approach us about doing p- Pally stuff, and it's it made me realize that we were sort of doing something right with respect to that. Fast forward to today, and the final comment I would make on it is that across the entire portfolio, our hotels overpenetrate their competitive set. And I believe that very strongly, and it has to do, in my opinion, with not only the good work that we do just in terms of the blocking and tackling of operating hotels, I think a lot of it is just leaning on the strength of the brand and what we bring to the table with respect to that and people feeling connected to it. And we can dig deeper into that and the, and the profile of our hotels, which I think is kind of an interesting thing to talk about as well if we get to it. That's, I think, the background of of, of the sort of the stepping stones of how I thought the realized that we actually had a brand.
0: Well, let's get there and talk about what the brand is. And and maybe you could start off by describing some of the mistakes you made in the early days and what some of the key components are now, whether it's physical components like has to have a pool or has to have a coffee shop or a bar, or it could be something simple like we like a special refrigerator in the room. What what were those mistakes early on? And then what are the key things that very early on you make clear have to be a certain way? I'm
1: gonna try, try and cover all of that because it's a big question and I, I wanna do it in a succinct way so it doesn't, it's not a, a long soliloquy of a career's worth of, of trying to get things right and wrong. I, ha, I would say that, let me touch on some big points. The first thing regarding mistakes, I think that for me, w- the way that I would describe it is that I don't think we made any real existential macro mistakes along the way, but I we made a ton of mini, sort of, varying versions of mini mistakes along the way, and the and and be, and the reason is is because, you know, obviously you're learning the business, but you're also we're also in a, ver- a very particular base in the business and let me let me sort of transition now over to that which is that the first hotel we opened was 38 rooms the second hotel we opened was 33 rooms and the third hotel we opened was 37 rooms or something like that 37 33 38 so really the way we started was like this small regional operator with small key count and i knew that the reason I wanted to do that was because if the hotel was a hundred room hotel or a 150 room hotel, I just didn't, ha- I just didn't have the ability to pull that off. And number two is I didn't want to compete with the people that had hundred and hundred fifty and 150 room hotels because those hotel operators, typically larger flags are able to catch really cast really wide nets. And it's just a big chunk of risk to take when you don't have that kind of experience. And so for me, I really thought that if I could provide institutional quality thinking, math, you know, again, business acumen behind smaller assets that had really powerful branding, that I thought that in and of itself was probably a good business plan, just from the way that we're able to take bite sized pieces of risk, bite sized pieces of exposure in a market from selling rooms perspective, and grow the brand in an area that other people. We're not really interested in going unless they were sort of smaller mom and pop operators. So that was the good news. The bad news is, you know, when you have hotels that small, scale is very challenging. And so it's very difficult to, you know, most people would not touch it with a 10 foot pole because they're like, there's no way to make money in small hotels. But of course, going back to the first thing we talked about, which is that, you know, coming to the hotel business from outside of the hotel business, was I just didn't believe that. Like I just either didn't believe it or I was too naive to believe it. But I really thought that there was a way to create an operating system and protocols and procedures in a way that with a limited service platform, you could be successful providing top tier operations and branding to smaller keyed hotels. Nobody liked that idea except me (laughs) at the time. And so, so that was really my, a big part of my business premise, which was that I wasn't going to go after the larger properties. I was going to sort of become the specialist in smaller, what I call neighborhood style hotels. I don't really call them boutique hotels. I don't really call them lifestyle hotels. I really call them neighborhood hotels because they're sort of not big enough to, To kind of have that overture. And as time went on and as we grew the portfolio, our hotels now range in size from 24 rooms to 120 rooms, but our average key count is 60 rooms. So we've maintained that discipline where we have smaller boxes and what I'd like to say is we sort of have institutionalized the neighborhood hotel. And institutionalized is not a very sexy word from a consumer perspective for but for this podcast and our listeners today, what I mean by that is we've created an operating platform and an operating system and an operating infrastructure that really gives smaller key hotels the same horsepower as a 150-room hotel. And we're we're achieving equal to or better GOP margins by having sort of, like I said earlier, made a lot of micro mistakes along the way about how to operate these things. You have to try a lot of things on for size. You have to make mistakes along the way. You have to give it a lot of principal attention. And you know you also have to make a huge investment of money and time in order to get to a certain scale level where It in essence is able to support itself. So those those are sort of those are sort of the high level operating principles by which we approach this. So we're not the right candidate for I would say a two hundred room convention hotel. We're just not set up to do that. We're sort of, but we're really good at doing quirky forty room hotels in urban cores, or you know, or even some destination drive to markets and stuff like that. So we've we've sort of mastered that sensibility. And because of that, I really feel like we've become best in class in that area. And that's a very hard thing to do in lodging is to be best in class in anything because there's so many great operators out there and so many great brands.
0: I love the idea of a neighborhood hotel. And I personally am drawn to staying in much smaller hotels that Feel like you're staying in your coolest friend's guest house or a little cottage. And I think now more institutional investors are actually buying into that because certainly over the past couple of years, you've seen these mega trades of these big hotels. but you've also you've also seen incredibly high price per key trades of smaller hotels by major like it might be a REIT or a big sovereign fund buying a hotel, call it sub eighty rooms. I want to talk about like the dollars and cents, like how, sure you might have a GOP margin, but how have you found to actually make meaningful dollars to make it worth your while investing your time and energy into it, but also making it worth the while of your company to be able to build a company on that level of revenue, which I don't know anything about. Maybe you're able to generate revenues that a hundred room hotel Generates. But that I think is an interesting question and one that pushes a lot of people away from you because they're concerned how they can support their operating business. And also they're concerned about their investment in time and something that, you know, might be profitable, but on the whole, from a dollar perspective, small.
1: I think I understand your question. I, I'm going to answer it this way. My first and foremost, my number one priority is to make sure that our hotels squeeze as much juice out of the lemon as possible, that they're as profitable as they possibly can be. That's number one. I, that, and I, you know, because I, I'm, I'm, I come from it as, from, as an owner developer type of mentality, and that's not something you can ever shake, right? So whether you're in the cap, whether you're an investor in the cap stack or have a vested interest, or, or if we're just a, a third party operator, there's really no difference in the way that we're approaching it. And because of that, and because I do own hotels within our portfolio, I tre- I don't treat my hotels any differently than I treat anybody's hotels. So, so that's, I'll say that first and foremost. Number two is, I've been had my own, I've had my own business for long enough now that I have zero interest in running an enterprise that's not profitable. It's just when you're young and you're willing to do it, and I did do it when I was young, but when you get when you get to a certain point, you're like, I'm just not doing it. So. As an enterprise, we're we're a very profitable operating company. And the reason is, is because we really have figured out a way to set up our infrastructure that makes sense. Now, one of the other components about our business, which is a little unique, is that we're also the design firm. So there's fees and income that are coming in on the technical service component that's a that's su- o- supersized to a traditional operator where you know we're getting paid to actually do all the interior design the interior you know architecture we're doing all our procurement in house so there's certain supersized fees on a per key basis uh, that we're earning that others don't so there's a there's certain benefits obviously associated with that and so and again i think it's like anything else I see a lot of p and l's obviously from from you know hotels that come to us to acquire what have you. and then I also see some operating company p and l's you know for for a variety of different reasons and and really, what I'm finding is that there's really not a discipline in terms of spending money uh, with on the operating side at the operating company. so I think that if you can create a small Nimble, high powered, prolific operating company that's profitable, I'm here to tell you that that's possible to do, and uh, so it's definitely worth my while to be doing that. And at the same time, we're obviously building intrinsic value just by growing the company and building enterprise value along the way, which obviously is something that I'm always thinking about and how to grow that going forward.
0: One are the key things that you've learned? through this process about making the parent company, the operating business, profitable in terms of how you set up procedures and SOPs or maybe strategically how you run the business. Maybe there's clusters of hotels that you tend to focus on. What are some of those insights that, that you've gained that really differentiate your business from some of the others you've seen?
1: You know, I think a lot of it is, you know, I think, for us we're like we we play like more like a zone defense, right as opposed to a man to man. And what I mean by that is we're able to cover regions on every level, whether it's revenue management, operations, food and beverage, human resources accounting, in a way where we can sort of run the we run the company like a collection of hotels as opposed to one-off ventures. And it allows us to cluster the operations because if you have five hotels and it's a total of 250 or 300 rooms, it's you're able to kind of treat all of that as if it's a one property in a way. So we're able to, through technology and a variety of different things, really roll up the operation in real time in a way that is very efficient to run. And because our brands, are, 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 our systems, our products, Calls and procedures are exactly the same across every brand, and our, you know, in a lot of instances, our our music playlists, our uniforms, our OS E packages, our you know, all the different kinds of things, the way that we're operating it, it becomes very centralized, and we're able to really streamline our process, which allows not only the hotels to themselves benefit because. They have a l- less of a cost burden to, to do that. But also the power of the brand is that you are repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And you can create a really strong team and a really strong bench by, uh, in terms of, from an operating perspective, by treating all the hotels exactly the same. Every reporting package is the same. Every PL is the same. You know, every revenue management. You know, obviously, from market to market varies, but you know the way that we approach everything, our h r procedures, our handbooks, everything is completely standardized so in to me, in a lot of ways, it's almost like running one big hotel as opposed to twenty five individual assets.
0: What's been the hardest part about growing the brand? I would say <laughs> I would say the hardest part was in the early
1: days you kind of doing everything yourself, you know. You're trying to figure out human resources. You're trying to figure out how to, you know, the best way to handle your accounting team and how to do sales. And you're doing it with a small handful of people. And it's just really hard to do. And you're doing most of it with common sense and a lot of times in in this business and any business, it's really not about common sense. It's about what is the tried and true smart technical way about approaching certain things and of course so i would say the hardest part was early days kind of doing everything yourself the really the big transition for us was that we went through a 2018 2019 i think we opened you know 10 hotels or something it was like a massive expansion and 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 on average we open you know last last 12 months we've opened six hotels so it's like one every 60 days. So what, what's, 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 what is good about that process? It allows you to build a, a, a better team. And in 2018 or 2019, I brought on a, like almost like a chief of staff, so just somebody to help me cover all the bases. And this person was really, set, very, really um, took to it really well and successful. And that person's now the president of the company, and he's been so fantastic with respect to coming in and providing a lot of structure and building out a great operating team. And so, by being in this position where we're able to operate in a very centralized way, we're able to really bring in, I think, best in class in their area. So, we're able to bring in an absolutely incredible human resources v p we've got incredible sales and marketing v p incredible finance v p all the way across the board my business uh, my wife is in the business with me, and she runs all of our branding, so she's been absolutely incredible and just you know in terms of really creating this customer facing set of brands and tone and how we interact with the, with the, with the, with our customers at large. And my son's in the business with us. So it, it, it definitely has this sort of the family business sensibility and there's sort of a handful of people that are really great. Oh, and the other thing that we have, which is really interesting is there's a gentleman that's been working with me for 25 years and he heads up our execution side of our business. And so he interfaces with all of our hotel partners about the development process, the FF&E process, the, you know, building the projects out. It's like a really big part of our infrastructure. And so, and these, all these people I'm talking about are as good as I've ever seen. And they're just absolutely incredible. And I think that's been a huge part of our growth trajectory is by having just really great people. It's made life a lot easier and allowed me to focus more of my time on the placemaking as opposed to, you know, what kind of insurance to get for next year.
0: You're working on the business and not in the business. That's right. When you're thinking about a new market there, uh, and I'm looking at your portfolio, there are some markets that seem obvious or ones that are like, oh yeah, I'm sure they're going to be successful there. There are others that I'm like, wow, I don't know that I'm surprised they would have gone there. What did they see that I didn't? What do you look for in a new market to know if one of your hotels are going to be successful? Or do you think you've created something where there's so many markets today that are just where people are just craving what you've done?
1: I think it's it's all of those things. Here, here's what the way I would answer it. You know, we're not really market creators. We're just we're really more market capturers. You know, it's like it's not like a destiny, You know, we're not like an aman or something like that 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 builds a, a man in the middle of the desert and people literally flock to it. So what we do is we we aggregate demand in a market for our kind of product, and that's kind of we funnel people into the product. What I've learned is that a lot of times brands stick their nose up in the air and are very persnippity about markets that they're going to go in because they're like oh I'm only going to go in the top 10 markets in the in the country for whatever reason I'm not sure there's really any any thinking behind that other than they think that those locations have the most cachet and I get it but what I've really learned over time is that almost every market that I go in that's 500,000 people and above, let's just say, it could even go down to, to 300,000 people, but let's just call it 250,000 people above. Absolutely. Every single one of those market is looking for their go-to neighborhood hotel. Every single market that I go to is looking for the market, the hotel that they can champion, that they're proud of. And so now we've got this you know, profile of brands that we're able to go into, whether it's Nashville, Tennessee, I mean, yeah, Nashville or Tampa or Memphis or Albuquerque. And we can plant a flag there and say, Hey, look, this is your hotel. This is the hotel that when your friends come into town or your family comes into town, or you're making a recommendation about where to stay, you can make this recommendation and you can feel really good about it. You can say, you know what? It's great. And by the way, I know the GM, Mark, and you should, you know, here's his number. And I think that, like, that's what I've really learned. And so, for example, we just opened a hotel in Tampa in, a, in a na- an area called Hyde Park. And, you know, that was not a location that was on my radar by any means to open up a hotel in Tampa. But, you know, I got exposed to the opportunity, the sponsor was incredible. Sponsor very sophisticated. They owned almost all of the retail uh, in Hyde Park Village. And they came to us and they said, you know, we've got this second floor of this this building that we have and we're thinking it's an office building and we're just going to gut it. We'd love for you to do a hotel here with us. And when you really dig in and you see, the understand the demographics and the fact that the, that customer has not been serviced at all. And when I say the customer, I'm talking about the local community does not have a hotel that they call their own. You see that there's, uh, there's a really interesting pocket of demand there. And because our hotels are trend on the smaller side, we don't, we're not taking a huge piece of risk. We're not building a 250 room, whatever it might be. And you're taking a big swing. I think in those types of scenarios, you'd like to have an institutional flag with you or something else going on there that hedges your bets. I think with us, if you're opening a 40-room, you know, really designed forward hotel that is really about creating a, a hotel for the neighborhood, I think what we find is that the acceptance into the community and the success level is exponential. So I'm getting, in Tampa, I'm getting, you know, higher rates than I'm getting in Los Angeles and higher occupancy and in other markets because it's just hotly in demand. And I've never opened a hotel in a community more excited to have us. So I'm really bullish on on markets like Tampa.
0: There's not a lot of nimbyism in Florida, so that's, you have that going for you. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, look there, I think there's NIMBY, you know, there's true, but if I promise you, if we were going to open some, something not great, I suspect we would have heard it. And, you know, the community there is very tight knit, but so, you know, and again, I think the, we were approached here. We did not seek this out, but you know, again, the people were like, oh, we love your other neighborhood hotels. We think this neighborhood hotel would really fit well here. And they know that once we do open a hotel, we don't just open it and walk away. We're there and we're on it. and We love it like it's our own.
0: Yeah. How, how do you do that? Because one of the things that I've struggled with as my company has grown, like particularly the hotels that are more design oriented or that need an extra push with programming, how have you found to train that or to find people that get that, that get both the programming of the space for the locals and the guests, but also from a design standpoint that know exactly how things should be arranged without, you know, putting all the same colored pillows over here and these floral pillows over here and totally blowing up your vibe and and what you created initially when the hotel opened.
1: It's taken forever to, to figure that part out. But it takes a lot of principal attention i'm on a lot of airplanes but again by having better infrastructure and better systems and protocols and procedures when i go to the hotels everything is in its rightful spot it used to not be that way it used to be like i'd get there and i'd have a complete shit fit and i would just lose my shit and you know and i it still happens sometimes you know i go and somebody's got to be the bad guy. You know, I, I, I've i given up this idea of being the placemaker good guy. Like, oh, it'd be really nice if so. He, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So without giving- You got to be direct. Without, yeah, I'm pretty direct these days. Without being too boring, really what we do is we have a complete, what we call eye for detail guide. So once I'm done with a space, it's it's completely photo documented. And so there's no- you know there's no ambiguity about what should go where we're also but it doesn't stop there you know we've got different playlists for different times of the day different lighting levels for different parts of the day and ways that we want people you know to to do and not to do and there's, there's all kinds of different things that we are really fastidious about but that's why so it's hard to control everything. I think you want to kind of give people the basic guidelines so they know. And then I think you want to hire properly where you're you're sort of casting the spaces appropriately, where people have the freedom to rely on the systems, and therefore they're really more focused on creating the best guest experience. Because our hotels are small, you're able to wrap your arms around the operation in a way where you can really get to know your customer, especially repeat customers. And so we really focus mostly on that. But clearly having everything in its rightful place is obviously very important. And I go to all the hotels on a regular basis. Like I said, I'm traveling quite a bit, but that's just what you sign up for when you do proprietor-driven, design-driven hotels. They just require a lot of sort of physical maintenance and spiritual maintenance. And depending on where our hotels are and which markets they're in and why, we're also very, very, we have a whole marketing team and all they do is programming. All they do, 24-7, not only socials, but what's happening on property, branding. We do all our graphics in-house. So we, it's a completely turnkey operation. So if we've got something that we need to do in a minute we do it. We don't like to do that, but if it's something that comes up, if we're, you know, whatever it might be. And so we have a ton, a ton of programming that's happening
0: at all the properties all the time. That's the department I think is missing from traditional hotels. Because if, when you look at a hotel, like it's, there's the GM, there's the accounting department, there's the sales department, there's the housekeeping department, but there's no department of programming. Like you just talked about, there's no department of design and, or guest experience, that seems to be missing.
1: I think that if you're in a big box branded hotel, it's, nobody gets excited about, you know, what, and no disrespect, but, you know, no one's getting excited about what the Marriott Courtyard is doing on a Thursday in you know, in Cleveland or whatever. So I think that there's no real reason to do it. You know what I mean? That said, uh, Marriott Courtyard is a great brand. And. They're phenomenally successful. But I think, you know, if you're, if you're, and also, you know, if you're a one off independent hotel, it's hard because you can't afford that person. You know, you can't afford to have a full time programming person. And any consultant is going to just, it's not going to be good. For us, we've got enough infrastructure now where we have people that's all they do 24 hours a day. And it's exciting for people. And we're all, we're also able to pull levers in different markets. So our programming in Carmel, California is not the same as our programming in Seattle, Washington. They're just, it's totally different. So you have to understand the nuance of the community and where's the ROI? A lot of people try and do programming and they're like, no one's coming to our bingo night. You know, because it, it's, you know what I mean? Like just doing it to do its sake is really not going to get you anywhere. But I think, and again, we did bingo night, I'm sure, at some place, at some point in one night, and you learn that it doesn't work and the reason why it doesn't work. So you have to make that mini mistake. And so now we focus on lots of other different things and lots of different markets, and that's not the same. And of course, you know, we have 30 restaurants, right? So we, you know, we have to also be mindful about what's appropriate for the different restaurants and the different things and the different lobbies. So it's a whole to-do, but I think for us as an independent, neighborhood style hotel you have to create that level of hospitality not to be relevant or not for something to put on social media but it's to show that you care about your guests and your your community and that you're you're making an effort right and i think that once you sort of stop making an effort as a neighborhood style hotel you know, I think you're sort of letting the community down and you're no longer really an upstanding member. And I think you have to do it. It's just a cost of doing business.
0: I want to talk about the food and beverage side. A lot of people in our industry, particularly in whatever you want to call them, boutique hotels, lifestyle hotels, are adamant now about outsourcing the F&B, bringing in different people, chefs and whatever. What Have you found actually works and what's your approach to food and beverage across all your properties? Okay.
1: First and foremost, our food and beverage operation is about driving room rate, number one. Uh, That is where the hotels make money. You know, portfolio wide, we're making 10% profit margin across the whole portfolio on our FB operation, but we're making 75 to 80% profit margin on our rooms business, you know where you should be emphasizing. So first and foremost, whatever it is that we decide to do should be helping our hotels perform at their highest level from a room rate perspective. Because of that, your cuisine tends to be not as denominational because you want to be accessible morning, noon, and night. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to have Chinese restaurants and serve breakfast, at least on the continental side. It's just harder. I'm not against it. It's just, it's harder. So number one, that's number one. Number two is I think you have to have a realistic, realistic expectation about food and beverage inside of hotels. Food and beverage inside of hotels that are smaller neighborhood style hotels are, it's not the same as having a banquet hotel that, you know, does, you know, a, two weddings a week it's just it's a totally different animal so the way the way I like to say it is I like to be the Tuesday night hotel restaurant you know restaurant you know i want I want the neighborhood to come on a Tuesday night if they come on the weekends that's great too I, we're, we're trying to create really approachable really neighborhood style restaurants for the community that's sort of part of the equation. The other thing is that I think is really important is that you want to create something that is Relatively easy to execute, and what I mean by that is, in the same way we try and standardize our hotel operations, we're trying to standardize our F and B operations. Meaning, we want to we want to use the same systems, the same procedures, same protocols, and in a lot of cases, we use the same menu. And not for every occasion, but you know, we've got an Italian concept, we've got a French concept, and we've got an all day menu, and then we've got a lot of other sort of you know collateral other concepts that we have to do because in some instances we have two or three outlets in one of our properties but again it's about standardization and if you can standardize it in a way which makes sense and you know that you give yourself an opportunity to break even or make money it allows you then to really in certain instances really do great so we have some some of our f and b venues that do really really well we're not running them any differently. The menu's the same. The level of hospitality and the design provenance is all the same. It's just, for whatever reason, restaurants are are tricky and finicky. And and if you hit it, you hit it. And sometimes you don't. And sometimes you have to you have to pivot and make a move. But our, but underlying all of it is really about creating the best guest experience that we can, and and to make sure we have concepts that are not a drag on the P and L, unless purposely some. We sometimes we have stuff that's a purposely a drag on the p n l not because we don't want to not make money, it's just that we're providing f and b in a way that is the net benefit is better than not providing it or providing it differently because we're doing better on the room rates anyway so that's 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 the answer to that
0: yeah, that's where I was going so how how does it happen where the f and b is set up to drive the room rate like? What happens there? Is it that people are going to pay more for the room because they know they can have an all-day restaurant and that's the type of experience they want and they wouldn't stay in a hotel without a coffee shop or without this all-day cafe? People like
1: breakfast and people like cocktails. And they want to be able to have breakfast kind of like, some people like their breakfast at seven in the morning, but some people like their breakfast at 11 in the morning, but they like breakfast. And people like cocktails at four in the afternoon, and they also like them at 11 at night, right? So our programs typically revolve around very approachable spaces, spaces where you see people from the local community there sharing the space with you. So you get a look into what's going on to that location. And it's well-priced and really beautiful to be in. And it doesn't, there's not like a It's not like you're walking into um, some sort of a special occasion restaurant. You're walking into something that is really well designed, is congruent with the rest of the spaces. It's, and it it also like you have to create an, an environment where like your waiter will also carry your bags, but also like your front desk person would also not feel uncomfortable taking your breakfast order. You know, like you have to create that energy in the space in order for it to feel cohesive where the hospitality is cohesive and the tone is cohesive and the uniforms speak to each other and it doesn't feel too separate. Now, some instances you have to, that's not exactly the case. And we have some of our restaurants where we actually have collaborations with local people for a variety of different reasons. And in those instances, there's a little bit more of a separation between church and state but by and large i think that's the way that we do it speaking of schrager for example you know that lightning in the bottle that he had in the 80s you know that's people have been trying to recreate that since then and some people do and some people don't but it's that's really elusive and very tricky and You know, I would never go to an ownership group and say, oh, we're going to do $10 million of F&B at this this hotel. I mean, I I just won't do it. I just don't, I don't think it's genuine.
0: How do you make the decision to pivot when a restaurant's not working? How does that happen for you if it's ever happened?
1: Yeah. So we opened, so we had a hotel that opened that had two venues. One was on the ground floor and one was on the second floor. And I went into the second floor concept kind of knowing that it was going to be a hit or miss, like there was going to be no middle ground. Uh, but I, it was one of those things that you just, but I designed the space in a way where like, if, if it was a miss that we could use it in another way that was really made sense. And so, so I think, I think you just have to be defensive. You know, I would say that we take a somewhat De- depending on the hotel and the market we take a somewhat defensive approach to food and beverage because it's just dangerous you know you could you could have a really expensive build out and no one shows up and then you just like you know that's all that, that's all that capex in the toilet and so i just don't want to do that so you know and i think again with experience you know kind of what works as a baseline and you're able to design around it and it's getting harder and harder to do because of primarily labor in, in some of these markets, just, you know, uh, very expensive. I just don't think that, you know, you just can't escape that. And people have been trying to escape it. You know, there, people are trying to find workarounds for their F and B, but if you go to a lot of these hotels and I won't name any, you know, you walk around and the F and B is like really really built out and they spend a ton of money and there's nobody in there and you walk around to your room or something You're like this, this is so unbelievably depressing. You have to really figure out a way to not do that. Because I think if you do a really beautiful restaurant and no one shows up, you, that's almost impossible to recover from without a full revamp. I, that said, I will say that I totally get why hotel operators, especially ones that are doing hotels that are a little bit smaller key that don't have big banquet space and stuff like that to drive f&b top line i totally get why they're pivoting and or, i mean they've always used third parties but i think now they're really in demand uh, but that said i don't they don't really by and large necessarily are going to do that much better unless you have a really high concept you know kind of Space that you're really willing to spend the money on and pay the fees for in, in the hopes of success.
0: All right. I think where I want to go now is I want to talk about you've seen it all. You're building an amazing brand. What are you currently seeing that you're not doing or that you have a lot of energy to get into? Some sort of like an open space or a blank space?
1: You know, it's, a, it's such a good question. You know, I will say that, you know, our our future now as a lodging company in terms of continuing to do hotels under our four brands, you know, our, our destiny there is somewhat baked. And what I mean by that is we have opportunities now come to us in a way where we're going to continue to do hotels traditional style hotels that are tr- traditionally financed with you know our existing partners or other new partners that that come in the door and so i'm spending a lot of time in 23 and going into 24 having a lot of conversations with lots of different people about other ways and other things that we can do as a to expand our brand i i'm i'm sort of thinking about not necessarily traditional hotels but what are other, some of the other things that we can do that are collateral or in the same sphere of influence that we can take our infrastructure in our systems and apply that to some other areas and so you know i'm having lots of different conversations with lots of different things and and some things are not appropriate i think it's fun to talk about you know, some other things, but, you know, our brands, some of, you know, our Pallyhouse House brand makes sense in, in, um, resort markets. So I think that's a potential opportunity for us. I think our brand has legs in, 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 in locations outside of the U S because it is a, it is a uniquely American brand that I think, and a uniquely Californian brand that I think probably has some appeal in, in some uh, international markets. And there's a, there's a, there's a couple of projects in our pipeline, which are a little expanding or pushing the envelope for us in terms of scope. And so I'm excited about those. Not ne- you know, not necessarily pushing our key count higher than our, than our range, but, you know, uh, expanding some of our amenities and some of the other th- the things that we're bringing to the table to add value. And so I think it's a slow progression about you know some of the other things to do but i i that's my number one priority now as a uh, shaping the company is to try and continue to evolve expand think about things that add value you know we don't we, we don't need capital we're looking we, what we what we'd like to do is is continue to build and grow cachet as a brand continue to you know big push for me in 24 is to continue to Make sure the properties are looking spectacular. You know, doing our annual PIPs and making sure that we're adding just as much robust and vigor and and passion to maintaining the properties that we always have. It's a huge part of my emphasis. So I don't know if that answers your questions, but I happen to answer any specifics. But I I am definitely you know looking to do things that are a little bit outside of just. Another hotel management agreement in another market to do another one of our brands. I think we're going to continue to do that very, and we we love that as our core business. But there's other things to do for sure.
0: Is membership clubs interesting to you? Given that you're a neighborhood hotel, and people would maybe look for more ways to experience the brand without having to stay there or the property.
1: Yeah, you know the (laughs) as you know. Every membership club on paper is like a dream come true, right? Like you're like, oh my God, this is the best, <laughs> yep. best you've ever seen.
0: I saw one the other
1: day. Yeah. It's like, you know, I've seen so many decks about somebody that's going to do a membership around whatever. And, you know, you get a thousand members and it's like a you could just retire. I think membership clubs are very difficult to do for a variety of different reasons because talk about programming and talk about placemaking and talk about, you know, keeping it fresh and maintaining members. And, you know, it's a very challenging thing to do. You know, in my mind, there's Soho House, and then there's like a couple of other people that are doing micro clubs, but only a handful are doing them well, you know, or, or let's put it this way, only a handful of them are doing them successfully. So that's my very roundabout way of saying that, I think that there's a pathway for us to do it, but it would really be only way to do it in a very small, calculated way, not in a way where it's underwritten on its own as a standalone piece of business. I just think you know, for us, it's not where we're at yet. You know, I'm not. I never say never, but I, I just don't see that as a as a as a real big push for us in a in a sort of in a significant way. That said. Like I said, there are some, probably some small little bits of business to capture here and there in very small, interesting ways. Unless Have you, you got explored idea,
0: unless you, acquisitions uh, of, yeah, tell me. <laughs> no, no, unless you've got one for me, I'm all ears, but. A hundred percent. We're going to come up with ideas together. This is going to be like, I, I want to keep talking to you. Actually, one of my goals for the next three years is to create Brand, but it's more based on having more kind of of these experiential but smaller scale hotels, similar to what you do. And you were actually an inspiration of that little vision exercise that I did last week. So I guess thank you. And if I have a good idea, because you've given me plenty of good ideas, I will send All right, one do. All your ears. way.
1: Actually, you know, one of the things I was thinking about you on was that. You know, we've, a lot of times things come to us and they don't have a good executing capability. You know what I mean? So we're always looking for people to collaborate with that can take the execution side of this because that's something that we've sworn off. You know, we just don't do it. We're we're just not doing, we're not taking on that even though it's sometimes it gets so tempted to do it. But sometimes we've got some really great stuff that people are just like, don't really know how to get it from here to there but it's really great opportunities. But so maybe I'll start running some stuff by you.
0: Yeah, I would love that. And I actually think the value that you bring as a one-stop shop for someone that has little to no knowledge of hospitality is tremendous. Because a lot of times where these hotel projects get off the rail or screwed up is by... Dealing with so many different stakeholders and, you know, the designer, the architect, the brand, the manager, sometimes the brand and the manager are different. And you provide a very cohesive environment that could also be a big challenge for an owner who wants to insert their vision. So maybe kind of the place we'll go last is how have you found to navigate with owners and partners having such a... Clear and focused vision.
1: You know what t- I'm going to say. A couple things. First thing I would say is, of our 30 hotels in our orbit, I think we only have like seven or eight owners. So m- most of our ownership groups are multiple ownership groups. One group has seven hotels with us. So the reason, and, and the reason that is, is because we are a one-stop shop. If we are, we have the ability to come in underwrite the deals, program the deals, design the deals, procure the deals. And we're really disciplined with budgets and we're really disciplined with timelines. So, and that all stems back to the beginning of our conversation, which is coming from the, you know, institutional real estate development side, you know, that you learn real quickly that you, you know, about budgets and timelines. And so it's a big part of what we bring to the table. So all of our successful partnerships are people that let us do our thing, and they appreciate what we bring to the table, and we appreciate what they bring to the table. Which is typically the bricks and mortar component, the ex, you know the execution of the physical construction, and that's where we have this really nice mesh where you know we're able to create a lot of value. And because we have deep knowledge of the real estate process, it helps people that don't understand the hotel business get comfortable with the process. Because the hotel business is not the real estate business, it's very much an operating business that adds, that creates NOI, that creates value to the real estate. And so we do best with people that. Understand that we're really good at creating NOI and they're really good at creating the uh, the, you know, the hotels to inhabit our operating business in and give us the prerequisite flexibility. Now, that said, the reason we also, I think are able to get involved in a lot of deals is like, if you look at our, what we would spend for FF and EOS and E and pre-opening, it's the same or less than a flag right? So we're not spending any more money. And, you know, we're, we, we're also coming to the table with, I don't know, could be up to 10% less in top-line drag on the P&L, you know, because we don't have franchise fees in quite that way. So it's a really nice business model, especially for people that are not big hotel owners and really want to take advantage of really well-located real estate for hotels that are smaller in size you know if you want to do a 50 room hotel in tampa it's not a lot of you know that that's institutional it's not a lot of people to call and so we get that call and so we we do that that said you know we're also very hesitant because having been there it's also a little bit dangerous, right? You, it's also hard to collaborate with people. Like, even if you love the hotel and you love the opportunity, but that particular executor is not going to get you to the finish line or is going to make your life miserable getting there. You have to have the discipline to say no. And so it's a very difficult thing to do because you fall in love obviously with some of these opportunities, but learn the hard way that you have to be very disciplined and you've got to team up with people that are like-minded.
0: Well, we can talk offline, but I think that's actually another way we can do something together. and, and, And there's certainly an idea there. I ask all the guests on the podcast the same closing question, and I'm really excited to hear your answer. What's your favorite hotel outside of your own portfolio?
1: I think my favorite, my favorite urban hotel that I've ever stayed at was the Iman in Tokyo, which was just a incredible property in terms of design and style and the way that they operated in the Japanese culture. And that was incredible. My favorite resort hotel would probably be. I really love Las Ventanas in Cabo. I think I, 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 it's not like the most spectacular one that I've ever been to, but I've been going there like every year for like a really long time. And it's just like a really user-friendly, easy to get to, great way to spend three days. They do such a good job there. And I love Mexico. And then I would say runner-up, it would be the Ritz in Paris is pretty spectacular too.
0: It's <laughs> it like is that, spectacular. that billion dollar revamp
1: um, was money well spent. Anyway, so those are my those are my favorites. What are yours, by the
0: way? Has anyone asked you yet? Well, the Ritz in Paris is one of them. You know, it's funny the Ritz in pa- the Ritz Paris has it's not the Ritz Carlton. It's it's separate for those that don't know. But the Ritz Paris has this Instagram account that just makes my head explode because they profile some of their team members. And they, they're not like normal jobs that you'd expect in a hotel. They're profiling. They're like, this is our cabinet maker, their own in-house cabinet maker. This is our own in-house gold twill layer. I know. This is our in-house florist. It, it's just wild. It is so
1: wild. I think when you have, when you're driving that much top line revenue, you know, you could have somebody who's in charge of only sheets. You know, and I, I, I the only, only sheets or, you know, you know, per, person who's only in charge of, you know, chopping, you know,
0: shaping the tuileries. So anyway, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I love the bar there. So. And the other interesting, the bar there is they have a couple bars now and the Amman Tokyo is one that I've heard, like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the cool hotel people that I know, as well as the old school luxury, like rich people that I know, that's a common hotel that, Everyone loves it and everyone's just blown away by what it is. It it appeals to everyone.
1: It's it's, um, fascinating. It's it's one of those places you go and it takes your, when you get out of the elevator, it takes your breath away. And I, I don't, you know, that almost never happens, right? You usually, you're so jaded, you know or at least I should say I'm so jaded, but I went, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't, I just, it was one of those wild kind of experiences in their swimming pool. And the whole thing is, it's pretty incredible. But um, yeah, so those are, I it very fortunate to have the opportunity to have gone to all those places. Hey
0: everyone, it's Jake here. Thanks again for joining me on this conversation. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Lastly, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Jay Wurzak. I'll see you in the next episode. Jake Worzak is the founder and CEO of Dove Hill Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Jake
1: and his guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Dovehill Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not reflect or represent real estate, financial, or investment advice.